This is the Radio Check Podcast, life in the concert touring industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Radio Check Podcast, life in the concert touring industry. My name is Matt Kanzi, and of course, I'm joined by my brother, Chris Kanzi. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm good, brother Matt. What up? Yay. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is kind of exciting because not only did we just do our 50th podcast a week or so back with uh, Jake Barry, um, but you know, that's the number 50 is usually the iconic kind an iconic um, number to hit with this kind of stuff. But today we're starting the second 50th with a new kind of breaking new ground and with radio check. And um, so really, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be fun. Um, hopefully, this will be something that we can really um, foster a little bit more of just to kind of bring more well-rounded conversation to this, uh, you know, really, you know, fun and important, um, you know, topic, you know, this, the, the family of people in the touring industry. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, just to jump right into it, um, you know, I, I'm really excited about this one. So why don't you uh, let us know what's yeah. going on? Yeah, yeah. T- t- today, today we've got uh, a-, a friend, uh, an employer, <laughs> and uh, a touring mate. Uh, we've got Mr. Danny Carey. Hi, Danny. Hey, how's it going, Chris? <laughs> it's 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 good to see you, brother, man. It's been, I know it's only been a couple months since we've seen each other last, but uh, it's been a while, and uh, you know I, I miss you, man. How you doing? Yeah, I miss you too. It seems like it's been a lot longer than that. But, uh, it really has. It really has. Divided, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, so just to give the listeners a little background, you know, I'm, I'm you know, Danny's uh, the drummer in Tool. I'm Danny's production manager for Tool. We work together. We tour together. Uh, and you know what? We we have lots of conversations together and, and, and they're all about music. Danny and I uh, really, really have the same taste of music. We love music. We're always talking about music. And we've been, you know, hey, let's podcast, let's talk about music, you know, and, you know, and, and the way the whole thing started is, you know, Danny, you know, before the show, you know, my, my job is to go in and keep Danny moving in the dressing room, give him his times, you know, make him make sure he's got every, whatever he needs and get him to the sh- and get him to the stage on time. But during that period, we listened to music, you know, and he's always got something different playing and we always talk about it. And it's always fascinating. And I'm learning something from him or I go in and he's playing something. I go, I know what this is. Don't tell me. And, and we, it's just, we have this rich, rich, wonderful conversation on a daily basis about music. And, and I've told you before, Danny, that is my favorite time of the day. Every Friday. Uh, I'm honored, you know, you're a good compadre in that world, you know, because it seems like no matter what I put on, you always know it, even if it's some obscure prog thing or <laughs> weird jazz fusion or something, you know, you our tastes are similar, obviously, you know, so it leads to camaraderie on and off the stage and yeah, keep everything yeah. running smoothly out there. I'm so happy always to have you back there getting me on stage so I don't yeah. flounder, you know. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, and you know what? I, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that you're you're on time every night. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be without you, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So, you know, a, a lot of the stuff we talk about, you know, music again, and, uh, you know, you're always warming up in the dressing room and you're playing and you're and, and you're kind of channeling the drummer you're listening to at the time. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of channeling. You're getting ready. Well, I guess, you know, is it, I, you know, I've, I listen to so many drummers and stuff and I, I draw inspiration from every one of them. That, you know, Phil Collins, John Bonham or Billy Cobham or whatever. And it's inevitable. It seems like what I listen to right before the gig that night, it does rub off on me somehow and I'll catch myself 
you know, doing a fill and copping somebody's stuff, you know, and then go, oh yeah, there, there he came out. <laughs> it's kind of fun. I like to mix it up a lot because it kind of keeps it fresh somehow each night tonight, you know, to have a different influence kind of going on in my brain, I guess. It makes me add different things to the songs and interject my personality in some way into the the, the stayed compositions. You know? Nice, nice. And, and you know, I, 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 and you do a you do a short solo every night, and yeah, that's always, you know, out more. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will you channel it tonight, Daddy? Somebody <laughs> yeah, asks me now sometimes. Oh, who is it going to be tonight? You are Leroy, my my security guy. That he he always asks me what's it going to be tonight. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a part of the ritual now. I have to come up with something. Yeah. Hey, so, you know, I mean, uh, you talk about tool enough and I know it and, 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 you know, we're not here to really talk about tool. We're here to talk about our love for music and, 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 and I, and I, and I, and I, what I'd like to do, I'd like to talk about drummers, like you were just saying, and, 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 you know, and, and, and see what, comes from the, each each drummer I mentioned, you know, where the story goes and maybe maybe your influences or have you seen them before? Do you know the person? Because you you know just about everybody, man. You you know everyone. <laughs> I try. Well the drummer world, it's such a a communal instrument, you know, that it kind of brings people together in the drumming community. It's I think a lot more so than guitarists or keyboard players. They're almost competitive or kind of standoffish to each other a lot of the time they're like i'm better <laughs> the drum seems maybe it's just the nature of the inner the instrument it's such a communal thing i think it brings people together and they like to talk about all their yeah it's their a primal hand. instrument you know it's, yeah. it's like the, one of the first instruments you know it's, yeah for yeah. sure you know? so i think it's conducive to that you know sticks on logs <laughs> yeah, yeah. hey so my, i guess my first question for you is Who's the first drummer that you recognized and went, wow, I like drums. I want to play drums. Who, do you remember who that drummer was? Well, it's probably Ringo from just listening to my older brother playing Beatles records. You know, I mean, that was the first time I, I know, picked up spoons or pots and pans. It was like dancing <laughs> on the furniture or whatever, you know, <laughs> acting like I was drumming, you know, that was <sighs> set the spark in motion, I guess. Um, Bonham probably hit hard as anything after that because Beatles was still kind of my older brother's music, you know. But uh, when I heard Zeppelin, I was like, "This is this is mine," you know. Man, let's right, your metal and stuff, you know. I just I was more of a rocker, I guess, than the Beatles got yeah, me. Yeah, you are, or yeah. whatever. So, uh, so I'd say Bonham was the one that. What, what do you think right of now, when I got my first drum set? I took my brother's physical graffiti record or something i think it was and just put on headphones and learned every song on that record you know just played along with oh. it kind of what started it all in my time of dying oh yeah that was oh man <laughs> that that achilles last stand those two yeah, songs that's that a fucking hell yeah yeah that presence record hit hard too because yeah. i i was starting to take lessons and i was a little older when i when that one hit me you know Taking a lot of bong hits, listen to the, the press. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, you, think you that, wanna... I think that and animals came out the same year, maybe like the Pink Floyd. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that was a good pot smoking record. Well, you, yeah. you and I, you and I are only six months difference in age, so we we oh, wow. we, we followed the same path of music. You know, as Zeppelin. I mean, I, I've never been a musician. I've never really had it in me. Um, but 
you know, you know, musicians always ask me, are, did you ever play anything? Yeah, you, I would have you, you, to play. You know so much about music, you know, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's just, it's just a love. <laughs> oh yeah, Bonham, Bonham, Bonham was, uh, he was the guy, you know, when yeah. the movie breaks, you know, I mean, all that stuff, you know, it's just I wish so I could have seen him play. I never did get to see Zeppelin live, you know, but growing up in Kansas, there wasn't very many opportunities. And, um, I remember we turned it into a ritual when they would just play a uh, song remains the same, you know, the movie where party like it was a concert. Oh yeah. Tailgate before we'd go into the theater. <laughs> it's funny, you know, but we had to make a big deal out of that because there probably wasn't much hope. Right. I think one time I did get a ticket to go see them, but they were in St. Louis and I was like 13 years old. I had no way to get there. The, a guy was on the little town square and he was like looking all depressed and he goes, I can't believe it. I have this ticket to see Led Zeppelin and then I, I can't make it to St. Louis's car broken or something. And he goes, you want it? And I go, yeah, <laughs> I still have that ticket. You do. <laughs> oh, wow. $6 and 50 cents. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. well, tickets were cool back in those days because they weren't this, this computer generated Ticketron thing. They yeah, actually they had artwork on it and, and, and yeah. you know, <laughs> tickets were beautiful in those days. Yeah, right. Right. I kept all my stubs. And... <laughs> yeah. So, 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 okay. After Bonzo, who did you, you know, rock and, and all that prog stuff was kind of starting at the same time as well, wasn't it? Yeah. It all caught fire pretty quick for me. Like everything around that, all the English rock bands I was really into, you know, Genesis and yes. And not so much crims at that time. That was almost a little scary or something you know, when I was younger, you know, but I dug it, you know, but it, it took me later to get into the crims and stuff. It was a little tougher listen, I guess. But once I was hooked, I was hooked even deeper. I guess that's the way that works a lot of the time, you know, so, but yeah, Phil Collins and yeah, Jethro Tull, especially, I was a huge Tull fan. It's like, right. Well, let's, let's go back. Let's go back to, uh, Let's go back to that whole, you know, Bill Bruford. I know oh, you yeah. love Bill Bruford. I know you I, I, You have one of his road cases that says Bill Bruford <laughs> on its stores. I was like, I took a picture of it. I said, wow, it's a Bill Bruford road case. So so he was, because he played with Crimson, yeah. Genesis, and Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, All three of those bands. And I, I loved all his solo stuff too. But I was, I was a, when, by the time he was doing that, I was already into fusion and I'd heard Alan Holdsworth play guitar. So that was the push over the cliff, you know, man, that's actually Bruford's band was actually what got me into Holdsworth first. And then I discovered he played with Gong and all the, did all his own projects and Tony Williams lifetime. That Those are, that's some of my favorite of all time. Those, those yeah. Well, well, the whole Bill Bruford, uh, Alan Holdsworth connection with, I think it started with UK, right? Yeah, I believe so. Or I think so. I, I'm just trying to remember if one if one of those that feels good to me record if that came out before or after the UK thing. Oh right, right. Was, they might have been doing it at the same time. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe one went to the other. I'm not sure, but they what a great combo that was. You know, though those two guys playing together really led to some interesting musical moments for me. That's for sure. Jeff uh, yeah, yeah. and the Dave Stewart guy were great too. They're kind of overachievers in a way at that time. Right. You know? <laughs> well, you've played, you said you've played with Dave Stewart at the baked potato, right? Um, no, I didn't get to play with him. I wish, man. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I played with some other kind of heavies. I got to play with Alan Pasqua, who was the, oh, okay. the 
the keyboard player on the Tony Williams stuff, you know. Right, right, right. Just a jam or something, though. Just like one tune or something like that. Well, the Tony Williams, so obviously Tony Williams famous for being the 17-year-old kid who played with Miles Davis through the 60s yeah. with that really, really famous quintet with Wayne Shorter yeah. and Ron Carter yeah. and Herbie Hancock. I mean, and what, what a great band that was, you know. Yeah, yeah, I've worn those records out. Yeah. And then when Miles started going a little bit more electric towards the end of the 60s, that's when Tony Williams, he had the Tony Williams lifetime. And he played with John McLaughlin and yeah. he played with Alan Holdsworth. And those those two records, those 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 emergency and and all, all those records were just so good. Yeah. Yeah. That was trailblazing stuff at that time. And as everybody kind of who played on that Bitches Brew record. All those guys, right? Were icons of jazz fusion: McLaughlin and Herbie Hancock, Lenny Korea, yeah, Billy Cobham. All every yeah. one of those guys had incredible careers after yeah. that. You know, DJ was there, I think, for a little while. You know, pardon? Uh, Jack DJ I think, might have. Oh been yeah, there for a while. Right. yeah, yeah. He was always kind of more straight ahead guy, but I, I always loved this drumming though. It was scary good. You know, those the streams of phrases that just come out of that guy it's so fast it's, it's mind-boggling man he was right. one of the highest level players i think you know i hope he's still playing i haven't heard much about him lately man. i saw jack dejanet play with uh with uh, uh i saw him a few years ago he played oh, with keith, keith jarrett keith jarrett oh yeah he okay with, yeah. that makes sense yeah. it, was, it was a it was a trio with uh, i forgot who it might have been charlie hayden if i, if I think about it you know, oh yeah before he died my charlie hayden jack dejanet uh uh, wow yeah, it's pr pretty good okay so going back going back to these you know we're, if we're going down this time travel from sure. childhood getting into <laughs> going from rock and going into fusion and whatnot um you mentioned billy cobham you know oh, man, yeah. i mean uh the you know uh, obviously the mahavishnu orchestra and the way he played in that way I mean, no one was playing like that yeah it was so no powerful. one was playing like that powerful you know man it was i remember that was when i was really just a zeppelin you know genesis freak or whatever my older brother man he he had birds of fire and he goes well you think this is good check this out yeah. he was always kind of my musical educator yeah. kind of taking the upper hand and boy, man that one just blew my mind man i'd never heard double bass kick like that and just the right. sheer power and the speed and everything I, that took it to another level i was a cobham fan for life instantly after hearing that i bought all his solo records and all that stuff yeah I still I think, love I, the Billy. You know? I, I think, I think my Vishnu Orchestra is heavier than Slayer. Oh, yeah. I just yeah, think, it, I just think it does not get any heavier than than my Vishnu Orchestra. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful stuff, man. Yeah, I always heard like good stories. Like uh, I think even Bill Bruford told me one. Like when they, they first came to England or something, they went up and they were just blown away or devastated at how loud McLaughlin's amp was. <laughs> just it just tore everyone's head off, you know, with the building <laughs> straight, you know. Uh, yeah. I bet that was heavier than anything. Yeah. And Billy, then, then he, you know, there was the solo record, you know, this, the, was it Spectrum? That with Tommy yeah, Bowling? Yeah, kind of a groundbreaker, I mean, kind of put him on the map, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw I saw Billy Cobb play once, and it was with, strangely enough, it was with Bobby and the Midnights, which was Bob oh, Weir's yeah. band. Bob Weir I'm from the Grateful that. Dead had a band called Bobby and the Midnights, and and Billy Cobham was the drummer, yeah. and he oh. did a solo, and uh, it was it was it was. <coughs> I bet that caught people by surprise. Deadhead. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
I'd like to have witnessed that. You know? Yeah, you can't play hacky sack to a to a to a, 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 a Billy Cobham drum solo. I'm sure you know. Video. <laughs> I saw him play with Jack Bruce and friends one time. That was a pretty cool show. Oh, that must have been incredible. Yeah, yeah. Jack was singing a lot and stuff. That was a cool band. Maybe Sanborn was playing sax or somebody oh, like. Oh wow, that sounds was, fantastic. I'm heavy New York hitters, I think, in the band. All right. Okay, staying with the '70s. Obviously, Bill Bruford. You know, we, you know he was with. Uh, he started with Yes, right? He was a kid yeah. with Yes, and then his favorite band was King Crimson. So he quit playing with Yes to join <laughs> King Crimson. Yeah, what you a know. Guy. <laughs> and then uh, I, I don't think he was ever really a member of Genesis, but he played in the band. He was he was like on Seconds Out, wasn't he? One of the drummers in Seconds Out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think the scenario was that was about the, just after the time when Peter quit the band. So Phil was taking over all the singing duties and it was a bit much for a lot of the things I think for him to sing and play oh, right, right. immediately. Yeah. So I think they had Bill playing a lot of the drums. It was just a, a tour or two. I think he did. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. other than that, I don't think he ever played on a studio record with them, but yeah, yeah, yeah. With trick of a tale, obviously was the first record without Peter Gabriel, uh, Billy Cobham I mean uh, not Billy Cobham part Bill Bruford and then Bruford left and then and then Chester came in and then Chester yeah, stayed yeah. there for, Chester stayed there for decades yeah yeah that was yeah he had done I think Black Market and man I, there's Ooh, a couple weather, weather report yeah Black a couple of weather report oh, records and then after that I think he went and joined Genesis no looking back he was with Genesis all the way I don't, God, I don't know 20 years or something yeah right? until Phil's <laughs> kids started playing probably yeah right yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't Dude, seen him play, but he was on a. I got nominated for a readers' poll thing for the Prague Drummer of the Year and Modern Magazine. You know how that's going to go, but uh, but um, Bill Collins' son was on the up and coming. Like you could vote for him for the new up and coming drummers. So I thought that was pretty cool. I, oh, I voted nice. for him. <laughs> yeah, well, you mentioned Phil Collins' name earlier, and then I mean, I. I, I I never consider him in the, in, in, the, in the drumming greats. Do you, do you rate him as a, as Oh yeah. A, I think he's one of the best, you know, man, it's just his feel and his, for the compositions, the parts he wrote were always just spot on. I thought, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I like a lot of drummers who think compositionally like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be the hot chops thing, you know, man, if it works with the band, that, that means as much to me as anything. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, in the air tonight, it's, it's, it's almost like lead drums. You know? Oh he yeah, sings, sure. he that sings and then the drum kicks in. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that blew everybody away. <laughs> and I'll still, you know, if I'm driving in the car and that comes on, I mean, the volume's going up. You know? Oh yeah, it's 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 it's, it's that's a, that's a good one. That is a good yeah. one. That's a pretty good scene in that movie when uh, Mike Tyson did that fill air drum that fill and then socked that guy. And <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw it. It's one of those Hangover movies. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. It's good. <laughs> okay, so where are we? We're we're early seventies. We're Prague. We're 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 Bonzo. Did, did 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 you did you rate Keith Moon? Um, I'm he was just so chaotic or something. It was almost hard to listen. To. I love those Who records, man. Actually, I have to say that Who Live at Leeds after the Beatles before Zeppelin that was a huge influence on me. I I banging on pots and pans of that one too but. i still think that's the greatest live record ever yeah. you know <laughs> that's the who live it leads it's 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 heavy metal it's punk rock it's it's all of it you know they play they play all that tommy stuff yeah yeah but they play it like 
like a fucking heavy rock band, you know? Yeah, yeah. That version of Magic Bus is great on that. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. (laughs) Okay, so going into the 70s, you know, we've got, you know, we talked about, uh, we talked about Bonzo and we talked about Keith Moon and uh, Bill Bruford and some of the jazz guys. Um, What did, what did you, did you ever rate Ginger Baker? What do you think of Ginger Baker? He was really good. It was just the sound of cream and stuff that was kind of a little old fashioned for me too, you know, kind of more like 60 sounding or something. So I never got into it that heavily. I kind of missed the boat maybe on a bit of that, you know, it it kind of slipped by me, but I listen to it now and it's great drumming, you know, I like Mitch Mitchell's drumming a lot. I mean, that's, that's you know, and for that late 60s stuff and and even um, Clive Bunker from Jethro Tull, I thought he was, like a superior drummer to all the yeah, pounding. But yeah. those guys, it seemed like if you watch them play, they look like they're holding the drumsticks on the very end of the stick. It looks like yeah, some of their fall out of their head. You know? Especially Clive, when I see videos of Clive Bunker playing, I was like, how could he even function with this technique? You know, and it, it sounds incredible. It's, it's funny, a lot of times when I see certain drummers play that it's like some magical thing. It doesn't look like what you're hearing could possibly coming out be coming out <laughs> when right right I get it, I get it. hey did you ever play traditional side stick you ever, you ever, did i did you learn that way? i started out totally playing that way and playing a marching band it was kind of a necessity because when you carried the snare drum it sort of tilted at an angle yeah, 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 yeah. to get over the rim on the left side you had to use the traditional grip they call it and, uh, so yeah i did that for years and then i think somewhere along the line in high school i i had a really good teacher and he just so I was asking about playing match grip and he told me, well, you know, your, your right hand's stronger than your left. Isn't that <laughs> like, yeah, he goes, well, just try making your left hand like your right. And then I remember Billy Cobham, he played that way. And a lot of the guys yeah, yeah. playing match grip. And so I kind of converted my playing over at that time and started doing all my rudimental practicing and all this stuff like the match. Right. For a long time, I was pretty equal at both of them, you know, and I've kind of, I've kind of lost a lot of my strength doing the traditional things. It's very rare that I do it, but it still feels better playing straight ahead jazz stuff. Sometimes just the grace notes and all that stuff happen differently when you hold a stick that way. So it makes a different side of your playing come out. Which yeah. When I think of Billy Cobham and, and, and what, what I think his signature, well, like if you're listening to a drummer play drums and you can go, oh, that's Billy Cobham. It's usually the snare drum. That gets yeah. me because of the side stick. That's just that he 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 plays the snare drum in a, such a unique, clever way. Uh, it's a giveaway, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it is totally different. I think part of it is he is well, Billy Cobham. He's like a the left-handed guy playing on a right-handed drum kit. You know, like that's where three of my favorite drummers are like that: Simon Phillips and him and Lenny White. They were all lefties that play on a right-handed kit, so. Right. They play open. They call it like open, you know, so they don't have to cross their hands to play the hi hat because. Oh, gotcha. It kind of gives them, a, you know, access to different techniques and things, you know. It's right. Like, well, Lenny White was, you know, because that was, if you if if any bands were rivalries or compared to each other, it was was Return to Forever and Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yeah, that was- and of course, well, Lenny White was with Return to Forever, you know, with uh, Aldi Miola and uh, Chick Corea. The headhunters were kind Stanley. of a little bit too, the Herbies. And uh, yeah, Stanley, Stanley Clark. <laughs> I mean, that was a that was a great fucking band, Return to Forever. Oh God, yeah, they're, they're, 
that was another one that fried my brain. You know, the Romantic Warrior record when that came out. Was that was right. 74 or 73, somewhere around in there. And then I was listening to, yeah, what was it, Houses of the Holy or something. Then I heard that. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> did, did you see Return to Forever when they reformed about in, in the last 10 years? Didn't they reform? I did. I did. It was it's great. This, all this four guys still was whipping ass, man. It was right. it's pretty impressive. <clears throat> Yeah. yeah, Chick Chickory has passed though, hasn't he? He's, he's yeah, just season. maybe about a year ago, so not not very long ago. Yeah, yeah. Pete, our manager, he um he was in contact with his son, I guess, and helped him auction off a bunch of his gear and stuff. You know. Oh wow! I thought I might try to get it. He had a big concert grand marimba. I don't know if he used it on albums or not, but I, I was thinking about maybe trying to pick that up. You know? <laughs> We just want to have some of the chicks. I love that guy. You, know, you, 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 you buy musical instruments like I buy records. You know. Yeah. That's all I write off these days. I put something buy on rest. You know. So funny. Well, and speaking of the seventies, what did what did you think of those two drummer bands, like the Doobie Brothers and I was Russell never Dead that into and, it, and, and oh, the Almond Brothers and yeah. Thirty Eight Special. All these bands have two drummers. Yeah, I was never that into it. I thought I kind of. I thought it was kind of a waste or, you know, maybe some guitar players would like that. Well, I'm good enough to play. <laughs> I, mean, I kind of like the drummers that didn't play with that. You know? I mean, it kind of has to simplify things at some point, you know, to, if you have two drummers. But I, I had a lot more respect for it after I, I played with uh, Pat from King Crimson and with me and him. And it was called the Crimson Project. So we did the double drumming. Right. Had to well, do Crimson. You get really good at it. And you really become sympathetic to playing with another drummer, and you can kind of complement each other in different ways, which is pretty interesting. Like, kind of, okay, well, you take the bass drum part on this one, and I'll take the because you don't want to fight too much because things can get out of phase, like in the low frequencies for sure. But it's it's kind of a neat concept to do it if you do it the right way. But I don't think the Almond Brothers drummers were thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it was kind of the impressive thing, I guess. Like they looked like they're almost mirroring each other, you know, playing the same thing at the same time. So. Right, right, right. Uh, I, I don't know. I never got it. I always thought, yeah. I thought it was confusing. Personally, I, I, I was funny to hear you say. I kind of wondered if you were in there. Like, yeah. We seem what, to what, like the same things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What it would it what what about uh, rest <clears throat> in peace, Charlie Watts? Did you were you were you what do you, what do you Man, think of Charlie? I, you know, I was kind of, it was so simple the way he plays. And I, you know, when I was younger, it didn't really grab me. You know, I mean, I, I was more of a Beatles guy than a Stones guy. But then when I got older and I'm like, say, college age, I was, you know, had to play my way through school doing top 40 bands, whatever. And then, and just trying to play like Start Me Up and some of those songs and try to get that feel like he plays it. That's really hard. It gave me a whole new respect. Oh, for, wow him like him and Wyman, man those guys the feel they had is just incredible yeah. to pull that off is pretty do, pretty do, do you ever watch charlie oh. play when he's playing sometimes he looks like he's going to hit this hi-hat but he stops it's yeah like he's well, just he keeping himself in time his, or... his hand he doesn't hit the hi-hat and the snare at the same time so we go do, do. yeah he's he does this thing where he's <laughs> I've never seen anybody else do that <laughs> i've never i forgot it and you, you know i also heard that he didn't change the the head on his kick drum his entire career i think that oh, he, I had, that. He, he, he has the same kick drum head on that on that on that floor on that kick for for his whole career that's well, what i'm that's incredible 
Let's get auction that off for a billion dollars. Probably one of those things. <laughs> it's been on every record, every show. You know, I went. I would to, say, I'd like to, so you sit down to that. You put the drum battery and you put it right through it. Probably. Oh yeah. I used to break a lot of bass drum heads. I, they, I kind of found ways to get around it. Now you reinforce them. In the I still go through three snare heads a night. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you do. Hey, staying with the seventies. Roger Taylor from Queen. Oh man, I, he was one of the guys. I was saying, a, not such a hot chops guy, but the right thing for the song at the right time. You know, I was loving yeah. parts. You know, they always just fit so well. It's a great look, feel. You know, and he looked good, and he used to sing. Yeah, I got to see him like the real Queen play two times. That's the, really? Oh man. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. That's almost kind of, I don't want to say that's better than seeing Led Zeppelin, but it kind of, kind of is amazing. sort of better than seeing Led Zeppelin, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know, man, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, 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 News of the World tour and the one that had live killers that was right after News of the World. Right, right. I think, I think uh, Adam, your, Adam Jones told me that you guys were doing a gig in LA and then Roger Taylor came into the dressing room yeah. Did you ever tell uh, you that story? Well, we'll tell, tell me that story if you remember it. <laughs> well, we um we had just gotten signed to our label, the Zoo Records, and Lou Malia, the president, he had signed Queen to Electra back in the day. So he had this relationship with them. And I don't know Roger's in town doing something, and Lou told him, and you know, we this is the upcoming guy. So he just he was curious. He just likes to hear live music, I guess. So he brought him down to the gig, and I was I about had a heart attack. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. I was totally flattered. Well, well, Adam said he came into the dressing room and said something to you guys. There's also Roger Taylor's in your dressing room. I'm going, holy shit, there's Roger Taylor in our dressing room. Yeah, and Adam I was said so to me, shocked. I don't even remember what you said. Adam, Adam said that. He goes, I've never heard anything like it. You guys have something. You guys have oh, something. You're going places or, or something like that. Oh, was, that's really cool. <laughs> I didn't even know. Oh, yeah, I love it. When we played, uh, God, what was the arena? Not too long ago. It was, uh, it's a place we just played in London. So. Oh, the O2. The O2. The first time we played there, Brian May showed up and just came into the dressing room and gave me like his new book on astrophysics <laughs> or something <laughs> about black holes and all this stuff. I was just like, my heart like beating. That's <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. I'm like <laughs> the professor's here. Yeah, it wasn't like light reading either. It was like serious. That guy's a real deal, man. He's a, no, he is. He is. He has a the, doctor degree. You know, so. He's real. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so w w let's let's get into the '80s a little bit. And this was a kind of a pivotal point because you're such a big Bill Bruford fan. Yeah. What what did you think when he started playing the Simmons kit? When he just went all electric? Did did I dug it? I dug it because I was I was ready to hear something new. Like everybody else, it was kind of a good, cool experimental ground to be digging in. And as a drummer, it kind of opened a lot of doors to different things. Especially for him, compositionally, he wrote those weird earthwork songs. Mm -hmm. on top, but I, I I dug a lot of that that music. Some of it holds up, some of it doesn't. You know, just because of the the sampling drums get a little sterile sometimes, you know, it's just there's not as much variety in the sounds, but uh, I think the music that it led to was needed to be done at that time. And uh, 
I got inspiration out of it. You know, well, you still, well, you still, you, you play electronic drums still. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. Part, they're, yeah. they're a heavy part of your arsenal. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you dig that shit. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's a matter of convenience for me. A lot of it, this, I don't use them so much for the boo, 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 you know, the electronic eighties <laughs> sound, you know, but, but I, I can sample all these things now, like African drums, you know, and like, ethnic drums from all over the world i don't have to carry on these instruments i can get really valid samples of them and feel like i'm at least using that texture to enhance our compositions however they need to go and right. it's opened a lot of doors for me in that way you know, which is nice yeah well it, it also opened the doors for other drummers you know with neil pertz i know i know you were a friend of neil pertz <laughs> and you're a big fan yeah, but yeah. at that and we haven't talked about him yet but he started playing electronic drums as well. Yeah. He had the acoustic set and then he had a complete electronic set behind him and he would spin around or the drum riser would rotate. He would, he would play both. Yeah. Yeah. The eighties, it's like, it was almost a prerequisite. Everybody had to have that sound or something that was so stapled into culture, you know, that that Simmons sound. They were were all Simmons drums. Everybody, (laughs) I think Dave Simmons got made so much money. I heard that he sponsored a formula one car. (laughs) <laughs> that's having dough, man, to do that. That is dough, you know, because that's the that's the most expensive sport in the world, you know. Yeah, I think so. And then uh and then of course uh another friend, mentor of yours, Terry Bozio, oh yeah, got really into I think he took electronic drums even a further level than Bill Bruford, didn't he? Yeah. At, well, at that time when Terry was playing them, is he he kind of went more for the full sampling thing. Know, rather than just using the Simmons sounds that were in a like say like on those those Crimson records, uh was it beat um Discipline, Three of a Perfect Pair. And yeah, Three of a Perfect Pair. Those were Bill was kind of just using the the stock sounds that were in the Simmons brains that came out at that time. And then Terry, he instantly had got like another computer built for him, like Cooper Electronics or somebody. They they so he had his own sounds and then he built his own pads, that really groovy looking kid he used with missing persons. And stuff. Yeah. So he well, did he, did he do, didn't he do one show where he stood up the whole time and he didn't even sit down and it was like the yeah, kid was know, just like hanging, was hanging all around and it was just kind of really <laughs> weird. Yeah, I believe it. I never got to see that one. But I got to see him play that kit that was like a sculpture kind of, but he, he sat behind that. It was, it was really neat. It was really cool because Terry's, he's such a physical player the way he attacks the drums it was great to see him without all that stuff in the way you know just these little sleek little pads you know so you could really see the physicality of what he was putting into it a lot easier than if he's buried behind a huge double bass kit yeah yeah now you can't even find him behind his drum kit (laughs) the way he turns his head back and forth when he plays and everything yeah yeah Yeah. well let's let's i I, want to talk about i want to talk about terry bozio and i want to Let's talk about him and, and the drummers that came out of Zappa. Zappa oh, had this had this unique ability not only to find drummers, guitar players, and everything, but but you know Terry Bozio, you know uh, Vinnie Caliuta. Uh, did did Chad Wackerman come from Zappa as well? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all these guys that 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 are just staples, you know, in 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 the, in the drumming community. Zappa found him at Berkeley or found him in some hallway yeah. somewhere, didn't he? Yeah, it, well, I think just the 
the music just demands that it's so complex and you're like you're not going to cut an audition unless you know what you're doing i know um i heard stories when terry did the audition it was like he had gone through like 50 60 drummers or something you know and then there are probably 30 more to come after him and but as soon as he played Zappa just sent the other guys, the last 30 of them home or something. You know? Oh, wow. Wow. Because Terry had that thing. He could just sight read his ass off, you know, because he was studying with Bergamo and these guys at Cal Arts. And that's, he's one of the best teachers around. And, and that, to read like that is a pretty special thing. That's why Zappa wrote the black page for him, because there's so many notes on the page it was black. And he, <laughs> <laughs> to test the Terry to see if he could do it, and he pulled it off. Yeah, yeah he can play. He could do the black page and, and titties and beer all in the same set. Yeah, 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 and yet be that maniacal behind the kit. Yeah, he can do it all. Yeah, him. Yeah. I think Chad played with Frank longer than anybody else. But he, right, he, but all the drummers like had even this God, it's, even the guys back in the mothers. They were they were great. <clears throat> all incredible you know, but the music demanded that you know but they were, i always listen to all that stuff though, that's for sure especially from bongo fury on you know after, oh right right Lo- love that stuff yeah <laughs> yeah that so, so bongo fury had chester and terry on it that was kind of oh cool. wow, wow <laughs> that was like the wow. transitional period i guess you know? yeah god terry's done so much you know he, he he obviously played with zappa and then he left Zappa with with some of the other guys to start missing persons because Patrick O'Hearn was in was in yeah, you know, yeah. and, and uh, Warren Cucarulo they were all in Zappa's band together they left to start missing persons and they had great success too those those guys probably still get good publishing checks from that man. right on all the eighties stuff <clears throat> I play it all the time yeah we talked about Bill Bruford in UK Terry Bozio replaced him in UK right and did the Danger Money and then that live record that great live record yeah yeah. Terry fit into that band really good too. I saw him do a reunion tour of that right before John passed away, John Wetton. And that, yeah, they oh, wow. executed that perfect. It was the first time they played the entire UK first record, like back wow. as it was on the album. You know? yeah. In the dead of night. Yeah. yeah. The 30 years, I think, I don't think they hardly ever played that song live or something. Right. The first time they did that. I've always loved great. that song, Rendezvous 602. I just think that song is just so beautiful. You know, yeah, just, great you know. beat too. It's really interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah they, uh, I asked Terry, like, what's about how he got into that gig or did that or why the, why Bruford left it. But uh, Eddie Jobson said that he, they were looking for someone who was less tippy tappy. <laughs> Those goes not hippy tappy, that's for sure. That guy. <laughs> God, he even he, yeah, I think we've talked about this. He even played with corn, Bozio. That's you know, right. He play with corn. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, good grief. I mean, that guy, he's just done so much. Yeah, he he can play it. He can play anything. You know, that's he could play anything I've ever played. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> did, did I think you... he can almost play anything any drummer can play because he's just so well studied in that Zappa background. You know, he can sub right. a million different ways. And, just do it all you know did, yeah. did you like those uh bozio levin stevens records with steve stevens and tony levin i didn't did listen you know? to them a lot i didn't think the compositions were real strong on them but their playing is fantastic yeah. you know yeah I, I like i love 
all three of those guys too as musicians. Well, the songs that stand out for me, like the songs, you know, that really captured me and sucked me. So I wanted to hear it over again. Well, Steve Stevens is a rock guy and and he's, he's always going to sound like he's in an eighties hair, hair metal band. Yeah. (laughs) But but they did, they did some songs in the records. The standout tracks for me on those two records are the songs where Steve Steven plays nylon string guitar. Oh, right. And and Terry Bozio plays, uh, you know, alternative drums, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of, uh, I can't even, I couldn't even tell you who he's playing, but you know, not yeah, straight ahead, not straight ahead. Jembe's and all kinds yeah, of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Base, yeah. All very, very unique and interesting sounding stuff. That's, that's neat stuff, man. That's for sure. Tony is just the king of the low end. Tony Rabbit, man. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> a bass player better than that guy. I've been lucky to see him play with, uh, obviously with King Crimson. I've seen him play with Peter Gabriel. Uh, yeah. he, you know, such a monster player. Yeah. I love the fact that he, um, he just knows what, the low end is supposed to do in any situation in any song and he'll play the stick or he'll play a synth bass or yeah. upright you know whatever bass is called for he will take it on and just execute you know it's a pretty right. yeah. I, I know I, I know we've listened to these together before you know the, the early peter gabriel records you know the the ones where was it uh was it jerry murata or rick murata one of the murata's played uh, on those rick, was rick rick, rick murata. oh sorry jerry it was jerry rick was the steely dad guy Gary, <laughs> yeah, Gary was did the, the gabriel stuff that's right yeah and and we talked about how those records those early records the ones that are just called peter gabriel oh have, yeah they don't have any symbols on them oh right they're all yeah. just very they're all just very tribal and peter was just like no symbols no yeah. symbols <laughs> i remember when i met uh peter one time after i think it was after the up tour or something uh, we, uh, somehow tony came up and uh, and he said, I've been playing with this guy so long. He had hair when I started. <laughs> wow. Tony Levin. I guess, I guess he had hair at some Levin point. Hair. I've never seen it. <laughs> kind of hard to picture. You know? <laughs> God, I wish, I wish Peter Gabriel would do another record, like a proper, write some songs and do a record. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm with he's you. got the ability to do so, but I, I, I don't know. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Those records were, Yes, the approach to the drumming and the and the drum sounds. I mean, that's what brought life to that in the air tonight. That that drum sound came from Peter Gabriel, man. Like that goo 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 goo. That was Phil yeah, Collins. Yeah, tribal. Yeah, it was tribal. Phil Collins. He did that for his drum sound on a what's that? No self control. That on the on that yeah, 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 album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that first God. time people heard drum sound like that. The records are so good, man. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Oh, fantastic. Uh, gosh, I wish uh, maybe Gabriel will write another record. Yeah. Okay, so, so um, Neil Peart, I know. I know we touched on him a second ago. Uh, I know you were friends with him all the way till 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 the end, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. We He hung out with Stuart Copeland a lot, and we all – one time I got a call. I'd, I'd met Stuart through his secretary or something, and he would have – these crazy drum jams up at his house and he invited me up and me and him and Neil and, and a couple of extraneous people. But we did it like five or six times, I guess, you know, it was so much fun to go up there and just go berserk and Stuart would always turn on the recorders and stuff, but it was pretty much as mayhem, you know, <laughs> people just, he had the studio with a million different instruments. So whoever wasn't drumming could just go pick up a trombone or a sax or <laughs> 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 drink a couple of bottles of Macallan and smoke right. 
whatever. It was, it was oh, a funny. Yeah. You know, I, I would never compare you to anybody and there's nobody that's comparable to you, but just in the whole ethos of drumming of, of mixing acoustic and electric and, and, and doing a solo and, and being very precise, I would say Neil Perch, probably the closest comparison. If somebody said, you know, tell me about Danny Carey, compare him to somebody. I would well, say maybe Neil put a little bit, your, your, the style is different, but the whole, like I said, the ethos is, is similar. Yeah, it's I take a compliment. And Neil's fantastic, you know. He's he's a big influence too. Like later on, like especially moving pictures and stuff, you know. It's funny I didn't really get into him that much until a little later on. This for like hardcore Rush fans. I mean, which, you know, they were always twenty twelve and you know the earlier ones, Fly By Night or whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that one struck me. Just a lot of it was just the drums sounded so amazing, and that. Terry Brown was it? The guy's name I can't remember. Whoever. Yeah, was, yeah. Terry Brown was a producer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Incredible sounding drums. <laughs> yeah, that that was that made a big impact. And just as playing, once again, it's that compositional thing. Now the right thing for the right tune. Neil did that all the time, though. That was, I think, the strongest part of part of his musicianship was just his compositions. You know, the everything was so thought out. And, well structured right. to support the song. You know? Yeah. Well, you know the 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 song off your off off your latest record, Tempest. Oh, you know, yeah. I I've always gone with like that's like that's that's like hemispheres. You know, it's oh, just, yeah. it's just, it's just <laughs> fucking goes and it just goes and you know everybody keeps when the song's over, everybody's hands hurt. You know, it's oh, just kind yeah. of like you know, we're out of breath, we can't breathe, and our hands hurt. You know, it's because it's just so heavy. You know, and fast and yeah. technical and. <laughs> Yeah, when you write songs like that, you go, oh, God, what have I done? Now I'm going to have to play this live. (laughs) (laughs) Good to have a challenge like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a good challenge, you know? (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, you you mentioned earlier Simon Phillips. We haven't touched on him yet. Oh, man, yeah. The first time I really heard Simon having to do was that There and Back, the Jeff Beck record. I saw that show. I saw that tour. (laughs) Oh, really? God, I'd like to have seen that. He was a kid. Yeah. He, I kind of knew about him like before. On the, what was it like all the Pete Townsend solo records and stuff? Yeah, he, yeah. You know, he played that. with Stanley Clark as well. Oh, wow. I bet. I bet. The, the, the Rocks, Pebbles, Sand, whatever that Stanley Clark, Clark record is. Oh, I didn't know Simon was on that record. That was yeah, one of the yeah. Stanley Clark records I never had for some reason that slipped past me. Oh man, yeah, I gotta yeah. pick that up now. Yeah, yeah. I love Simon's playing. Yeah, and well, you know the 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 towns and stuff. You know, uh, yeah, uh, split skirts and all that. Yeah. Split skirts. Did <laughs> did, he, did he play with uh, what was the song "Give Blood" where Pino Palladino plays that great fretless thing? Was, oh, that, was yeah. that Simon Phillips? Oh, yeah, yeah. So true. good. And then he went on to play with the Who for a while too, didn't he, Simon? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. Then I, I think he got the Toto gig after that. So. Right. Simon was so awesome. <laughs> the first time I met him. We were getting notoriety and stuff in the and I guess me in the drumming world or whatever. So they my companies talked me into doing one of these clinic things. And it was it was a big one. It was, Bozio was there and Simon and the guys from Santana, like some wicked jazz guy. And when I, I I was like, What am I doing here? <laughs> it was like a three part rock guy amongst all these gods, you know, man. And and I was so nervous. I I had to go on like second or something, you know. And that it was it was really a stressful situation for me. Just what am I supposed to do, you know? And Simon was awesome, man. He just man, 
he just goes, look out in that crowd, man. Over half of them are wearing tool shirts. You're, you're the man. <laughs> he goes, just do what you do. He just, he just made me feel so much more comfortable, man. He just said the right thing at the right time. And I've, I've always been thankful for thankful to him for doing that. And after that point, we've kind of kept in touch and he's been my friend ever since. That's pretty nice. Awesome. Well, you know what? I, I I like to think that you're you're now that guy to <laughs> other young drummers. You know, you're you know, it's just what you. Yeah, do. I hope I can have an impact like that, or like save somebody the stress like that. Save me. <laughs> <laughs> I owe it to somebody now. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I you were speaking of uh, when you said Simon Phillips and Toto. I'll tell you, man, Picaro. He was he was just. He was a great drummer, you know. I mean, I, I know he, you know, he's not known as the live guy. He's known as the, you know, the studio guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. done. He's done so many great records, and of course, Toto Four, you know, with Rosanna, with that, yeah. with that, with that shuffle at the beginning, you know, of, of Toto. Yeah, that it's, was all the drumming magazines. I mean, he raised the bar kind of in a way. So good. That, that was a big one, and uh, that was like Steve Gadd when he did the Asia. Asia. Oh, that was a oh. razor, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we've told the story to each other from, from with Gary Katz tells the story. Incredible. Of, 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 you know the song Asia off the Asia record. Steve Gadd. It's the only song he plays on the record. And yeah, yeah. Was, I don't know. I don't know what the what the directive was, but he just fucking goes off during the song during the Wayne shorter sax solo. It's just just like this is a pop record, and he's just fucking going off. It's incredible. And, and then after he recorded that, I guess, you know, because he did session after session after session after session after oh, session, yeah, Steve yeah. Gadd. The and then Ga oh. Gary Katz is mixing Asia in, in a studio somewhere. And Steve Gadd just happens to be down in the studio and in, in another studio uh, doing another record, remember? And, and he goes, he goes, Steve, Steve, come listen to this. And so he goes into the other studio and sits down and Gary Katz plays him back Asia with the incredible drum performance. And at the end of it, Steve got to get somebody goes, Hey, that's great. Who's playing on that? <laughs> it's like, it's you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> must be a bad motherfucker. I, I must be okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's what's nice to, to, to stand outside the box and look in and, and kind of look at yourself a different way. That must be interesting. Yeah, I wish I could do that. You know, when you're that, when it, prolific, I guess that's what happens. You know, <laughs> God did so much good stuff. He played with Clapton for years, obviously the Paul Simon, you know, when you think of Steve Gadd, I think of Asia, and then I think of 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Yeah, Paul that was Simons. a your drum beat for sure. No, it's just so... I like the stuff he did with uh, with Chick a lot, like the, the three quartets record. That that was with uh, Michael Brecker and Chick. And <clears throat> right. God, Eddie Gomez, I think, was the bassist. Oh. Really good stuff. And that, that album that had Night Sprite and all that... Uh, leprechaun like steve gadd does some amazing drum stuff on oh uh, i have to check that out i think you stumped me there i think i need to find yeah. that one <laughs> that's a good one yeah. yeah you 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 know what you turn me on to a lot of great music you know i oh. recommend it if I, if I don't know it more app more often I, you guys go on stage and i go straight to spotify and oh. what the fuck was that you know? that's glad to be of service oh uh, you know <laughs> It was the well. The recent one was that that uh, that Polytown you turned me on to. Oh was, yeah, did you ever check with, that record out? Yeah, Bozio and Mick Karn from Japan. And, yeah, and yeah. Uh, who else was in that band? Oh, it was uh, Rio. Oh, David Torn. David Torn, the guitar player. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was so, really it's like cool. Kind of neat ambient kind of stuff or something. That, man, that drum sound on that record was really well recorded too. Man, that was. 
I remember taking that in when we've tracked a couple of our records just to see if I'm in the ballpark, you know, when <laughs> dial up your drums, you know, because it's kind of hard without a reference point, you know, man, to know if your shit's cutting it or not, you know, man, it's good to have things like that to compare to. You know? Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> I use that one and, the, and like I said, that Moving Vickers record, that, that's a great drum sound. It's so I, good. My stuff's sounding the, in the ballpark with that. I know I'm doing it all right, you know. Is it just me or do, do, do records sound better back in the day? I mean, Man, did, did well, they... some, a lot of them did. I mean, it's to not that many people just record a live drum kit anymore. You know, that's what's kind of odd, you know, and so much of it's programmed and processed and all this stuff. You know, it's, it's hard to hear a really good sounding drum set on records these days. It's, it's, yeah. People Sometimes are pulling I'm... off though. Some of the queens of the Stone Age sounds are pretty good, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Theodore. Do you know John? Yeah, I know John really well. He's an awesome cat, man. I love, I love that guy. I love his playing, too. Man. Yeah. I, I, uh, I had him when I was working for Maynard with uh, Perfect Circle. The Mars Volta were our support act. Oh. And I got to watch those guys play every night. And it oh. was, is there anything you can compare the Mars Volta to? It's, yeah, it's 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 yeah. like the Ma Vishnu Orchestra meets Santana <laughs> meets Daft Punk. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. Stuff, yeah. I really like a I like the the Mars Volta stuff. That's when it's kind of more composed or something. Some of it they just kind of go off on those crazy jams. It's like what? <laughs> it looks like it'd be fun as hell to play, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some everybody's, of them got, everybody's oh, looking at each other wondering where do we come back in? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's exciting, though. I, I, I love people taking this like that. That's for sure. Yeah, it is so fun. Hey, well, speaking of, you know, the, you know, the Queens of Stone Age, John Theater, all that stuff. So in the, 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 the 90s, lots of other great drummers came about, you know, and I know we've talked about Matt Cameron in the past. Oh, man. You yeah. know, Matt, you know, with those early Soundgarden records. And of course, he plays with Pearl Jam now. Yeah, yeah. He's a side stick player, traditional stick player. He's, he's so yeah. good. Yeah, he always had <clears throat> technique beyond all those other grunge bands out of Seattle. That's for sure. I mean, I, I could hear it right away, but I think Matt, Matt can play, man. He is one of my favorites and always has been, you know, I, I still love listening to that guy hit and playing the right thing with the right. And yeah, he's, his drum parts are, that's one of those guys where I listen to it and I go, man, could I have done it better? And the, the answer is no, man. He <laughs> does the right thing. That's what happens when you play with your mates though, for 30 years, you know, you, going to know what to play with them you know it's right lots to be said for playing with someone for 30 years like i've been able to play with my bandmates yeah helps you know that's for sure okay Uh, another guy from the 90s that's still playing now and his band still together was we and we saw him recently he came to our show in chicago with a jimmy chamberlain oh yeah another another one out of the 90s man yeah those those two guys i would say they're they're my favorites out of the out of the nineties for sure. And yeah. Well, he's, they he's both can play jazz and stuff too. I mean, they're not exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I've toured with the Pumpkins, and I used to watch Jimmy play every night. And his everything is happening right in front of him. His arms don't go way up in the air. He's not. Right. Everything is happening. It's like it's it's like the, it's like I don't know if he. It's just everything is just right there. The snare yeah. that I had, the, and his arms are all kind of tight, and it's all methodical, and and it's just. It's like a machine. It's like yeah, one of those wind-up monkeys. Yeah, yeah, precise. He, he hits hard, though, man. That guy's 
he's got arm strength. You can see it when he, he does. You know, man, he's he's not a slight guy. And when he's not I'm playing with the good Buckets, <laughs> when he's not with the band, he's he's playing jazz gigs. Yeah, yeah that's what he told me. I, I was always saying he should get the guys that he plays with to come out to L.A. and play at the Baked Potato, and I'll take my Baked Potato band back to Chicago and maybe do a gig together. Maybe, oh, how fun. Maybe we could get more than 50 people to show up. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do. You, you, still ba- you still play the Baked Potato every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. I just like I'm playing, well, I'm playing with those guys on the 13th of september i guess it is right right well the baked potato for people who don't know what it is it's a it's 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 a club on ventura boulevard in north hollywood it's just famous for just musicians from the la area just congregating there and playing together and just jamming and it's it's just such a fun thing to go do and see yeah don randy the guy who started he was the the hammond b3 player from the wrecking crew so back when the Wrecking Crew was doing all the Carpenters and Wing Cam, all that, right, of course. everybody's songs, they, after they would be, have producers tell them what to play all day long, they go, yeah, we just want to go play. We don't have to listen to anybody. So he bought this club, started this club where they could just go and jam and right. have fun outside of work. You know? and that's yeah. been there since the early 70s, I guess. Yeah. How long has that my, my... club been around? The Baked Potato. Because I saw Down Randy and Quest a few times when I lived out. No. Close to 50 years or something. Oh, wow. So maybe that's where I saw it. I, used to, I've, I've been, I saw Dan, Don Randy and Quest a few times when I lived out in LA. So, yeah, so. yeah. That's what a great band. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> wow. That was a blast from the past. Yeah, cool. I, th- I think it's close to 50 years now. Though, oh, wow. All right. It was in the 70s. I didn't even know where I was. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> my, my favorite memory of, of the baked potato is I, I, one night I saw. Steve Lukather playing. With, well, yeah, I, I don't even I don't even remember who the rest of the band was from, but I, they, he did a version of Little Wing, oh, that was the second cool. best version to Hendrix I've ever heard, and <laughs> and he just he was he was drinking, and you could tell he was having a good time. He was just having. He's playing with one hand and drinking with the other, and just and it's just really and singing Little Wing, and, and he's a great singer, as you know. It's, it's it That's was right. Yeah, he sang some of that Toto stuff, didn't he? I forgot about that. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't hold you back off the off total four huge song beautiful beautiful vocal yeah yeah you're like 99 or something i can't remember 99 he sang 99 as well maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe the most funny yeah do you do do you do, do you feel like uh doing other things with other people helps you with tool i mean when you go back to tool after playing oh man yeah things, it's it's hard shifting gears sometimes if i've played a lot of uh a lot of gigs at the baked potato doing just because it's almost all improv you know 95 percent. you know you just play the head and then you're just listening and taking in you know uh, the other guy what other people are playing and trying to communicate on this level you know and it's it's so good for my playing to do that it just frees up all your techniques you know that you use in compositions all of a sudden you have to use these on the spot and that's it sort of solidifies to being able to play and communicate with people in a different way. But after I do that, sometimes when I come back to tool, it's almost, I, it's hard for me to remember the songs or something. Cause I'm not thinking in that, in that way, you know, and vice versa, if I'm come back from a big tool tour and I'm just so used to playing these songs that are also set in stone, it's kind of hard to shift gears and just go let it all go and just become really free and not, fall into habits or 
cliches of yourself or something, you know, I guess, but it, it's, it's good. Uh, both, both sides help. They, they, they feed into each other for sure. You know, right. Right. I feel like I gain a lot every, from both sides of it. You know? mm, yeah. It, it's, 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 it's growth. You know, I mean, yeah, you listen, you listen to opiate and you listen to the latest record. I mean, it's, 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 it's the same band, but there's, 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 it's, it's lots of growth. Yeah. God, I hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting something out of this. <laughs> oh, funny! Hey, did you um, did you know Taylor Hawkins? Did you know him? Not real well, but I, 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 we hung out quite a few times. Just the drummer thing, you know. We're so, as always, we would hang out like at Rush gigs. I, I saw him at two or three Rush shows, and we would air drum together and just dig it. You know, he's oh, what a great spirit he was, man. That, he was, he was a drummer at heart too, man. I mean, that guy yeah. loved everything about the drumming world, you know, and all that. Well, how would you like to, what if Neil Peart decided he wanted to be the singer in a band and you were his drummer? I mean, that, I mean, what do you, what do you, that's like, how do you do that? That he went yeah, with all the confidence really in the world and then played behind Dave Grohl and. Yeah, and crazy, huh? He, Taylor killed it on all that stuff. I think one of the first times I saw him play was, I think it was with Alanis Morissette back in the day. Exactly. I saw that too. Yeah. And as a, then his bass player, maybe. Chris Cheney. Oh, that's right. It was Chris. That's right. Alanis, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a great player that guy is. Yeah. I saw Radiohead open up for, for Alanis Morissette and Chris Cheney was the bass wow. player for Alanis and, and wow. Taylor was the drummer. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Did you work with the Radiohead guys? I, I did not. No. Oh, that would be a good one, though. I would really enjoy yeah. working and watching yeah, them play on a nightly basis. You know, I mean, that <laughs> is that is that is everything done for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, like you, they're like you guys. You know, if you hear it, they played it. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. I I, I like living by that. It really just it actually makes your life a lot easier too. <laughs> in the end, it can be limiting in some ways, like when you're experimenting on albums and things. But I I, I like being able to to do what I do yeah. regardless yeah, of yeah. the situation in the studio. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 you know, what's really great about, 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 you know, tool and what you do is, is you, your, your fascination with, with electronics, you know, you're, you're not, it's just not drums, man. And we talked about the Simmons stuff earlier in Bozio and, oh, right, and right. Neil Pert and everything, but you've got some really, really interesting stuff going on. Back when I was a kid, and I took I took a class in high school about electro it was an electronics music class. Oh, you, there, there was not a keyboard in the room; it was all patch oh, cables all and, yeah. and, and knobs, you know. And and that's what you have. If you if you see Danny Carey's kit, he's got this rack behind him to over his left shoulder, and it's all patch cables. How yeah. do you get your head around that? Well, I mean, you kind of learn the basics of synthesis if you took that course, you know, and they're all sort of the same, you know, you can just keep adding crazy modules to these things, but essentially you just have the oscillators that make the tones and then filters and then voltage controls that make it louder or softer, or, you know, manipulate that. And then, uh, then the rest is just kind of manipulation and running things into this and that. You know? and it, right. It's, it's a tie to the marine. It's an endless you've... experiment, you know, that's. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You've got, you've got <laughs> the, the marimba, the, the, the digital marimba. Is yeah, tie, yeah, is that is that the tie into the same racks, or or is that its own thing? 
it's kind of its own thing at this point. I'm, I'm trying to work on some interfaces where I can actually have that more involved with a modular, but um, I think I may be able to do that with my new system that I'm going to bring out. We'll, we'll see how it goes, <laughs> how far nice. I get before the next tour starts. Looks like it might be a little while. I don't know. I think we're, I think we're looking at February or something now, maybe. Uh, hope so. Hope so. Hope, so too. hope you'll be there. Yeah. Well, you know, I've told, I've told, I've told your manager and I've told Maynard and I, I, I will work for you for the rest of my career, man. I'll tell you, oh, I, I, oh, the rest of your career, oh. whatever, whatever. If, if, if you're playing, I want to be there. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. But you know this this electronic thing. I, I it's it's interesting because you know it's every day the band shows up at the venue and and and, and eventually there's it's time for sound check and I'll go into your dressing room. Danny, we're we're ready for you up on stage. You don't go sit down at the kit. You go stand next to your 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 synthesizer rack and you start playing with tones. And you'll do that as long as we will let you do that for you. Will play with you will play with that rack. Well, it's kind of a the source of uncertainty. So it's a little nerve wracking when I don't know what's going to come out of it. So I kind of need to tinker with it and dial it in and things. So just to get some sort of a comfort zone going before I go up and make an ass of myself. during that solo. <laughs> but, I, I don't think you've ever made an ass of yourself. Well, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. questionable moments, but yeah. it usually comes out. Okay. But that, that time's invaluable that I spend with it before, you know, at sound check or during on that. Is it? It takes a little bit. There's a lot of variables that when something's bouncing around in a truck from gig to gig, that That's takes, true. Like, you know, as I, it has to kind of settle in in this little position on stage there and then I can. Yeah. Vintage kid, man. That's, that's what even. happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the one thing I always appreciate about, about you guys is, you know, you guys play a set and then we take a small intermission, like a 10 minute intermission. Then you come back into your drum solo. But during that intermission, you guys all go back and you sit down at the drum. Um, pardon me. You sit. You sit down backstage, and you guys, you Adam and Justin, always talk about the set and who did this. And inevitably, someone will go, "Oh, I fucked this up." Oh yeah. And then the, and then the other two guys will go. The other two guys will will say, "No, no, no, no. You were great. It was awesome." Yeah, we're always our worst our worst critics. That's for sure. You know. That's so funny, yeah. But yeah, but you guys are so supportive of each other, and and, and it's wonderful to watch on a, on a daily basis. How you know you guys are so supportive of each other. Oh, that's yeah, I guess that comes after time and giving each other space and room to move and all that stuff. It's you, you kind of learn how to survive and not kill each other after thirty years, I guess. You know, <laughs> that's, yeah, but yeah, I, I love my bandmates. You know, I just I love the interaction that we have. You know. Sometimes I wish there was more of it, but uh, you know, it's it's good. It's it's a healthy balance now, and I think things are going really well. Right. Hopefully, after these little breaks we're having right now, maybe if we're not playing in September and October, we'll get back together and start writing again. That's the goal, anyway. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. You know, it, it, another thing I love watching is 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 Justin Chancellor. We we all know how talented he is. We all we all know what kind of a musician he is. But he's, is he kind of like, I wouldn't call him the musical director, but he's the, he's the guy that keeps the train on the tracks. It looks yeah, like. Yeah, for sure. You know, you know he's he, really he, good at it too, with the, kind of the directing with his eyebrows or whatever you yeah. want to say, you know, because his hands are kind of tied up, but he's, it's, it makes it a joy, you know, and I'm, Justin's so solid at 
it just, you know, it's a good gig to him if it sounds like the album, you know, that's so he plays his parts really consistently every night and all that. Where's a good night to me if it doesn't sound like the album. So I'm always trying to fuck things up and I'll, to the point I'll fall off a cliff sometimes, but he's always there to catch me, which is a great feeling to have as a drummer. He's to your left. So he'll, he'll turn around and, and, and face you and he'll take his hand off the strings and kind of like, keep going. He'll like roll oh, his yeah. hand. Yeah, he does. He'll roll his hand and keep spinning. Like, like oh, come on, yeah. keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. And, then, and then he'll, and then he'll lean back and go, and, 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 and now, and then he'll lean forward and then, and then you'll come in and it's, 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 it's really, it's really interesting to watch. He's, That's he's, funny. He's, yeah. I didn't know if you guys saw all that stuff, you know, <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of looking. Yeah. It's you know? <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Where, where do you, where do you, do you, how, how does Tool even start to write a song? How, how does it come on? What, what, what you guys, because you've got this, I've been in your rehearsal room. You've got this beautiful little area where you guys are very tight together and there's instruments all over the walls and all your pedals and guitars are there and anything you could ever imagine to make any kind of sound you would ever want is right there at your fingertips. Yeah, it's almost too many choices. We're pretty spoiled, you know, <laughs> Sometimes it's better not to have all that stuff, you know, but, but no, it's great. Um, we, we get together and we just kind of trust where we meet. I mean, if I bring in a drum beat, sometimes there's been a few songs, not that many, but sometimes it will just start with a drum groove and then we just start jamming on it and we'll hit record on the, on Pro Tools or whatever and just let it fly and then go through all these permutations on this and, and this then the next day we'll take a tape home from the rehearsal and just listen to it. Hey, that was a good bit there, a good bit here. And then we will bring those back in and try to just piece things together. You know, it's a real organic process like that. But a lot of the, most of the things start with Justin's bass riffs because he's just so prolific and such an incredible creative spirit, you know, but, uh, but Adam comes up with tons of riffs like that too. You know, man, they're, they're both great inventive and unique players, you know, they're not schooled, which makes them more unique. I think, I think sometimes right. people know too much. They aren't as creative or something, or they feel limited by all the rules that they've learned or something, you know, and those guys are more free spirits on their instruments. And right. Able to take off in weirder directions. And then where we meet, it's more genuine sharing of their personalities or something. That's, that's mm. songs are so bizarre and weird time signatures and all that is, they don't know enough to make it all fit in the four. And I, at least I know enough and I can play well enough that I don't want to drag it down that way. So I'll let it be in seven <laughs> or 11 or whatever. <laughs> I can't, you know, that's oh, kind of the magic, but I guess, but they, they, they start in different places, you know, like whoever comes in with the riff, we just start jamming. And then sometimes different jams will over a month or something, maybe two months we'll, We'll say, wow, this part could fit with this whole different jam and find a transition in between and just kind of piecemealing things together, you know. And then once we get a framework to where it's pretty solid, we've turned Maynard onto it and let him work his magic over the top of it. And that seems to work pretty well now. It's yeah. Kind of, you know, we used to have Maynard in the room with us, but it, it was just too much downtime for him. It just drove him nuts for us noodling over these parts over and over again. So he, 
he just hears it. He can sing over anything. He, he considers it done way before we do. So <laughs> we have to wait and we'll give it to him when we don't want to change it anymore. Cause he, right. it frustrates him because it's such a commitment. I think to sing over a piece, you know, that he, he can't just be that flexible and change his part like we can, you know, so. Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's I incredible. His point of view, for sure. No, I can imagine. <laughs> you know, all three of you guys, it's 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 like listening to thunder. You know, <laughs> you know, Justin's rig, Adam's rig, you playing. I mean, it's just all. It is. Do you ever notice that? Well, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> do you ever notice that some of the loudest bands are three pieces? Yeah, you know, I, just, I, just, I guess just, they're trying to fill in all the spaces or something. You know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying though, for sure. Yeah, that's funny. I love the three-piece format, you know. Like, I mean, of course, Maynard's on the top of the floor, but uh, I like having that room, like like the police and Rush and our band. I mean, it just seems like it gives you a lot more room to be creative, communicate, get your point across when there's – you don't have to tame it down. The more people you add, the more constricted it has to be just so it doesn't get chaotic. It's, it's, yeah. People holding back, leaving space for others, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's just a noble cause and it's leads to great things. I, mean, I, I love playing with the orchestra when it's like 80 people, you know, man. there's nothing more powerful than that feeling like hitting a gong with choir and the full orchestra going, but you know, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of limiting for sure. <laughs> it's, it's a whole different kind of work. I do miss playing like in a big band. You know, that's a lot of fun too. I, I enjoy doing that. Yeah. Well, that would be a small drum kit. I don't know if you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> all those people, you don't want to have too much. <laughs> Oh, funny. Hey, you, you just brought up uh, the police and Stuart Copeland. That's a, that's a guy completely glazed over. And I know he's, 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 he's an important. He has a huge influence. I think on every drummer in the world, that guy, what, what a kingpin, man. He, everybody was, had to play reggae flavored stuff after him. You know? <laughs> right. Do you, think he, do you think he brought the reggae flavor into the police? You know, does he, I'm sorry. Did, did he did he did he have a lot to do with the reggae flavor in, in the police you think oh definitely well it was almost wasn't even just reggae man it was a uh, just kind of world beat he he grew up in lebanon a lot because his old man was cia or something you know so he was all over the world and just got exposed to all these different drummers from all over the place and that's really what formed his his concept of rhythm and his whole feel kind of the kind of world beat feel or something, you know, even beyond reggae. It's, it's really unique. I, mean, I don't think it could have happened by anybody that didn't have the experience of traveling as much as he did. You know? mm. I, when I think of him, much like we talked about Billy Cobham earlier in Snare Drum, I, when I think of Stuart Copeland, I think of Hi-Hat. Yeah, isn't that funny? I think I Peter think Gabriel had. had him just do a Hi-Hat parts on some of his songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you look on the credits, it's <clears throat> Stuart Copeland, Hi-Hat. <laughs> hey are there, are there any uh anybody you're checking out these days that you're that you're impressed with you know either drummer wise or band wise music wise um, anybody I, I really like the numa sugar record i mean it's pretty bombastic for some people's taste or whatever it's man thomas's drumming and i think it's the best record they've done you know i've been listening to that quite a bit you know but sonically i think it sounds better and I like the songs, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, uh, trying to think, 
I still listen to all the jazz guys a lot, you know, whatever yeah. new thing McLaughlin's doing. Or, that's interesting. McLaughlin's still, still working, man. And still yeah, at a, at a yeah. high level, you know, he yeah, is yeah, at a really high level. I liked a lot of the Indian stuff he did. That kind of was got me into the tabla and all that taking tabla. Right. The Shakti. And, yeah, yeah. 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 The record he did with Carlos Santana. I forgot what it's called. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, devotion maybe yeah 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 can't remember that but yeah that was a classic one yeah <laughs> yeah i love that yeah. is it, let's 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 play let's play the fantasy game okay tool doesn't exist <laughs> what what band do you wish you were the drummer in oh wow um <laughs> and, and no disrespect to who you're replacing <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well then yes would have been way up there I always, really? I loved, I loved Chris Squire's bass playing and Steve Howe, like his approach to the guitar. And I guess the Rick Wakeman, all, I mean, that, that to me, that was just one of my favorite bands ever. Man. I mean, that's oh, so good. Close, close really to the edge. Album. I mean, it does not get better than close to the edge. For me, uh, yeah, yeah, for real. That's, that's, that's one of those with, with the island, with the, desert island choices or whatever yeah 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 what record are you going to take with you yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well i know you i know uh, i know you liked alan white's playing as well you know? yeah yeah man. he was brilliant <laughs> the relationship him and uh him and chris squire had i thought was kind of almost well it got more solidified i think than it ever did with bruford even you know? bill's like incredible and in whatever he plays on it doesn't really matter you know but uh yeah how tight Alan and Chris got though. That was really inspiring to see, you know, especially through the eighties, even when a lot of music was sucking and stuff. <laughs> you can always go see yes and it'd blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. I always <laughs> love that uh, the, that uh, Chris Squire Rickenbacker sound. You know, the same yeah, the same too. sound that Getty Lee was able to to get to. Yeah. It was just so full and it just yeah, you know, because there's well, no yeah, rhythm there's, there's no rhythm guitar player in the band. So the space has got to be filled, you know, when, when, yeah. when somebody's soloing or, or, or whatever, you know, and, 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 and it just seems to just do the trick. Yeah. It had a wicked growl to it, but it still had balls, you know, it's pretty, pretty interesting. I think he ran it through a Marshall like cabinet or something. He had, he had like a weird rig that he used his whole life. I know that. Yeah. 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 Poor guy. Yeah. It's Poor a we've lost a bunch of these people. Man. Yeah. 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 There's, it's just shit. Yeah. Danny, what, what's happening, man? I mean, yeah, we're getting old here. <laughs> you know. But we feel good, though, don't we? I think, I think, uh, I, we're I still feel great. Fun. Yeah, I still feel good. I do everything I can to stay fit. Well, well you've, you've, you've got young children, too. And that, that if, if anything yeah. makes you feel younger, it's, it's young yeah, children. Yeah, you don't have a choice. Uh, every day, <laughs> they're all seven o'clock, they're on top of me. Right? <laughs> get up, get up. <laughs> uh, here we are we are coloring books and you know, putting puzzles together it's fun ridiculous. i wouldn't trade it for anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. so so how you you're so right now i can see you people can't see you you're 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 you're, you're in michigan yeah yeah They're, um, i'm in the basement here that this is the lookout i don't know if you can see that oh yeah i can that's beautiful. Beautiful lake. Our lake is right there, you know. And so that's kind so of. So is this your place? Yeah, yeah. We built this about five years ago up here. But Ryan's mom and two of her sisters still live here, so we spend a lot of time up here, like the holidays and all that. You know, 
Nice. Kind of nice. nice to have a snowy place to take the kids in the winter so they can get. Oh, the of course. Yeah. Of course. That's I had so that fantastic. growing up, you know. <clears throat> you grew up on the East Coast, is that right? I did. I grew up, Matt and I grew up in Connecticut. Oh, right. Yeah. So you got snow. That's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, we used to think, what, was, this, was snow deeper when we were kids or were we just small? I, I think it was deeper, man. <laughs> we, I mean, we always had snow days and stuff, even in kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but shoveling like, the driveway. I don't, they, and all I don't stuff. think they had any snow days last year in Kansas, which is kind of weird. You know, or maybe they yes. had one ice storm or something. I remember it going to 20 below zero for like weeks at a time and stuff. And they had the energy crisis. They had to cancel school and all that stuff. No, you remember right. when they were like 11 years old or something? You know? <laughs> the energy crisis. Uh, <laughs> that was a big deal. Uh, so what's uh, so what's next for you coming up? Are you just you just just taking it easy, or you you get you guys gonna you guys got plans to rehearse at all? Or um yeah um. Hopefully, I mean, we did have plans to start maybe doing some writing, you know, like in September, I guess. Um, yeah. I've got four or five of those baked potato gigs booked, you know, in different different places, you know, playing a little bit of that, you know, the jazz stuff. I keep working on my synthesizers. A couple of guys have asked me to do albums. This guy, Scott Kinsey, that played with uh, Tribal Tech, he's a kind of a zominal sort of keyboardist like really oh, okay. innovator in that way like for sounds and things he actually helped joe come with a lot of his sounds on those last two or three records before really he so he's uh he's asked me if i want to try to do a record with him so I'm, i have no idea what that'll turn into because yeah. some of the stuff's really weird and kind of world beat well, that's oh, wow. kind of fun. maybe a lot of the electronic pads with big Indian drums and things like that on it. So it could nice. be a lot of fun. <clears throat> Looking forward to that project. And yeah. Other than that, um, other little recording things with some friends are on the horizon. But, um, well, you're always playing, man. That's good. You, you know, with, with, with tool, it's, it's hard to get you guys in the studio, but once you're there, it's hard to get you out. You yeah. know, you get, it's, it's crazy. You guys, once you guys start, you guys dig in and get into it. Yeah, it's good fun. It's such a different world when you're, and a good feeling when you've committed to compositions and just capture them in the right way and all that. It's a yeah. really challenging thing. And yeah, you, you wrote them and played it, but you know people need to realize that this needs to be rehearsed. Oh, you need yeah. to be. Well, you yeah. guys are well rehearsed. You take you 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 sound check. You you take your you you take things very seriously, and I respect that about 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 you and the guys. You know. Yeah, this I, is you do not fuck around this is this is shows. <laughs> I'm gonna hope it does. it's a lot is, of work but it's the payoff's good you know i mean we on a bad day we're still pretty pretty good you know uh, <laughs> so agreed man Ag agreed you <laughs> yeah. know i mean look at you you're 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 uh, again 30 years into your career and you sell out everywhere you play still to this day yeah, I'm amazed. that, that <laughs> is uh <laughs> that is an inc it's incredible you know and uh, i'm 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 so so fucking honored and proud to be part of it with you bro i mean it is so fucking enriching and just you know I, I, when you go to work as a production manager i'm not a musician so I, I can't i can't get that that same uh feeling you get when you do a great gig but you know i need to get something out of the gig myself for me to be really oh, into cool. it and and and, and i and I so appreciate what you guys do. And I get a lot out of it. And, and you know, musically, productive.
action wise, the way you, how you guys see yourself on stage, the way you, the way you present yourselves. It is just, it is, uh, again, it's uh, so proud and honored to be, to be, to be part of this with you, brother. Well, thanks. Chris. It's a two way street, man, because when things aren't harmonic with you executing and doing all it makes that impossible to happen on stage. I mean, it, it all feeds into that, you know, and if, things aren't smooth man then the music suffers that's the way it is so i mean you're 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 a big part of it you know oh good well thank you you know i mean uh, my my job is for you to only think about playing your gig yeah that's you should not have to think about (laughs) anything else you should you should show up you know prepare do the gig i don't want you to have to worry about anything else that's excellent Uh, it's We've learned how to weed out the week, I guess. After years. <laughs> I feel like our team now is pretty, is pretty solid, man. Everybody. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's, it's a great, it's, it's a, it's a family of people that yeah. really enjoy yeah. working together and do really strong work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, thanks, man. Yeah. Well, hopefully well, we get a few more years out of it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, we, you know, I, I want to be there. I want to be there. But okay. I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for doing this with us, man. This was oh, incredibly man. fun. It's 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 like it's like we're sitting in the dressing room. Chair yeah, really. Music, but, you know, because having flash but looking at your background, it looks like you're in the visitor's dressing room. Man. Is it a gig? Uh, I, 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 I am. This is, you know, this is, yes, you and I have been in many rooms like this before. I'm, 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 in, I'm in Philadelphia. We're doing a show with Roger Waters here tonight. Uh, Where the Sixers play? where the Sixers play we, we, we played last night so we're set up already so that gave me oh, the ability to take, take oh, you're a doing to back podcast. to back or what, like two nights uh, not everywhere but we are here excellent excellent you know I was on CNN today I saw like Roger oh, oh, oh he did Smirconish I, I haven't seen yeah. him I'll have, have to find that I'll have to <laughs> see kind of I like it he lit into him good <laughs> Roger's the best <laughs> yeah he's uh he, he he does not give a fuck yeah he does he, not he, give a fuck you know and like his politics you're have are... a conversation with me about this you got to go home and read <laughs> <Yes. went off. laughs> did he say that like he said he, yeah he put that guy on his heels man. oh man <laughs> i'm gonna go whatever. i'm gonna go find that right now but again brother i love you miss you man <laughs> I, I i can't wait to see you again well uh yeah for sure oh and you're gonna you're coming are to you the doing LA, LA gig or have you already done the LA? No, we've not. You're coming. You're coming to the LA gig. I've already got that in mind. So that's coming up in uh, September. So, so oh, next perfect. month. Perfect. And I'll, I'll, I'll get a hold of you well ahead of time. All right. Sounds good, man. And maybe, maybe, you know, we can hang out a little bit. Excellent. Okay. Hey, hey, Matt, you got anything for, for Danny? No, I just uh, want to say thank you so much. It was, it's great listening to everything you said. It was definitely a blast from the past. I mean, everything that you talked about as far as your influences, you know, the one thing that I resonated with was how big of an influence your brother was on to the music you listened to. And I can say the thing, same thing about Chris. And oh, uh, incredible, it's, it? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. So and to kind of hear that and the passion behind the, the you know, the people who influence you and the, your story, it, it was great. So thank you, Danny. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to meet you, Matt. <laughs> so, awesome. Um, yeah, so I guess that kind of wraps everything up and uh, hopefully, you know, we can circle back uh, some other time in the future. But again, thank you so much for joining us and uh, yeah, have a great day. Excellent. Thanks again. See you, buddy. See you, Chris. Thanks, man. Bye, Matt. Bye. 